Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 137 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. I'm so pleased that you're with me today. Today, I am talking to M.G. Hennessy, who was as quite often happens on this show by miraculous awesomeness. Um, She was delightful, delightful. I bonded with her on many a subject and we really feel the same way on when to revise and when not to revise. I know that you're going to enjoy her and I want to read her new book. So um, look forward to that. A little update about what's going on here. Well, it is July. It is my birthday week and I'm doing a lot for the first couple days of this week and then the 4th and the 5th and the 6th and the 7th. I'm just going to do fun things for me. Things like planting some flowers and maybe a little sewing. I have stepped back from social media. I'm still going to post every once in a while to it, um, but I won't read it. I get a little bit addicted to Twitter, even though I have a very short list that I read of just a few people. Um, and I get very addicted to Instagram. I can scroll Instagram for a real long time, especially when I get into the world of hashtags. Um, there is a hashtag called plus size sewing. Oh my God, I want to sew everything. And I'll find a dress or a jumper or a romper. And I'll chase that hashtag around the Instagram world and compare other bodies wearing it. What does it look like on this size person and this size person? And I can lose hours. And honestly, y'all, I'm not that into sewing. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I am. I like it. I've made one jumpsuit uh, in the last three or four years, and I just made it a couple weeks ago, and it was super fun to get back into sewing. But it's not my passion. It's just a fun hobby, and it is a way for me to procrastinate. And I would much rather be spending my time reading or thinking or working on my books. And um, I am in the middle right now of reading Digital Minimalism, the new book by Cal Newport. I always talk about his book, Deep Work, a lot, really changed the way I work in my creative um, blocks of time. Digital minimalism is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, I didn't want to read it because I knew it would say, get rid of social media. And it did. And so I did. I'm doing a 30 day fast, which I've done before and I love. But when I go back on to social media, um, as he advises, I'm going to have a little bit stricter rules when I bring it back in, but I have not missed it at all. I'm allowed to look at Twitter on my computer if I want to, although I don't read on Twitter. I just look at replies. Um, those are my, because I need to be able to post things, especially that I have a book launching next month. So I have to be able to post, but otherwise I've removed it, um, since the last week of June. So it's been more than just these few days and I've already read four books. Um, I was just in the city getting my hair cut and coming back on the train, I didn't even want to listen to the podcast that I was listening to because I was having so many ideas. Oh my gosh, I have the most exciting marketing slash promo idea for Stolen Things, that book that's coming out in August. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull off this incredibly creative and unique endeavor. I am not sure it's even technologically possible. If it is possible, no one has done this before. 
Don't you want to know what it is? I am so not going to tell you. Um, if I fail, I will tell you why and how I failed. And if I succeed, I will tell you why and how I succeeded. Uh, but I'm going to play with that tomorrow. That's um, tomorrow's project is to see if I can actually create this marketing effort. Oh, I am excited about it. But I'm so excited about it because I was just sitting on the train looking out the window. And this idea, which had occurred to me years ago, smashed into the release date of next month for the book. And I thought, oh my God, this could be a marketing thing, not just a random idea. I know I'm teasing you, but I will, I will tell you what it is. I promise. Um, in the, in the, in the soon future, because I'll know if it works or not, probably tomorrow. <laughs> um, and I'm getting that because I'm not on social media. I didn't spend my entire train ride back to the, uh, East Bay scrolling through Instagram. Um, so, I'm just really enjoying the space that it leaves in my head. Uh, and really interesting idea from the book is that up until 2007, when the first iPhone came out, human beings for the last 300,000 years have had solitude in their lives, moments in their lives when our brains are not communicating with another brain. And what I mean by that is you are not, according to him and another, um, scientist, you're not in solitude. You're not alone. If you're reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching something on YouTube, doing anything that makes your brain react with and against another person or people, um, which means that you can be very alone in a cabin and never have solitude. If you're always filling your brain with other voices and you can have solitude and aloneness when you're in a very crowded cafe if you are not listening to the people around you, if you're listening to the white noise and just thinking you're not reading a book, blah, blah, blah. So I know that in my case, I can only speak for myself, but in my case, I get these creative ideas when I'm not really thinking, when I'm just zoning out, when I have this quiet time. And I'm just trying to find little pockets of that. I am not trying to be quiet all the time. I love my podcasts. I love my music. Um, I read all the time. But I want to find those moments of quiet and really embrace them in a way that's not meditative. Meditation is something completely different. But allowing the brain to rest and get a little bored and get a little thinky um, and start making those weird random connections like I had on the train today. And I'm sure if you've ridden a train, you'll notice that the I think the brain just works differently when you're on a train and you're looking out the window and seeing stuff move by at a speed that you don't normally see it at. It's just wonderful. So that's my update. Um, I did turn in a synopsis in the first 10,000 words of a book to my agent who said, great try, try it again. So got some more revising to do on those pages, but her ideas were brilliant as usual and I don't mind doing it. So I'm going back into that synopsis. Um, it is the first week of the third quarter. And, uh, as a writer, that's never meant anything to me. Actually, I've never been in a job where a quarter matters, but as I wrote in my Patreon essay that went out a couple days ago, um, I've been listening to Sarah Cannon stuff and she displayed her Kanban board or her Kanban board. I'm not sure how it's pronounced, probably Kanban. And uh, I am incorporating her ideas of having just three overarching large goals, ignoring all your other goals for three months, just choosing three to focus on. Um, because I have so many goals that are not 
just my writing. I have so many other goals, marketing and, and increasing revenue streams and all of these things that I don't do because when I look at all my big lists of to-dos, I have so many of them, I get frozen. So this month, I'm going to bring them in. I've chosen three to focus on for the next three months. I've got a Kanban board full of hundreds of post-its so I know what I need to do every day of the next three months. And it feels really good. I've already accomplished a bunch of stuff on the board and it's the 2nd of July. Uh, we'll see if we can keep this going. I am really good at planning and also very, very good at dropping those planning balls, but I do love a post-it. I do subscribe to the Church of 3M, so I will keep you posted on how that goes. And if you wanted to check out that essay, which is very stationary product heavy, um, so it's kind of like porn for me. Um, you can pledge at patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, and get all of the past more than two dozen essays, including the one I just sent out. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a shout out for new patrons. I haven't shouted them out for a couple, three weeks. So there's a little backlog here, which is fantastic. Um, so Tammy McKean, thank you. Thank you so much. Marcella, thank you. Lisa Fraser, thank you. Carrie Hardis. Okay, sorry, Carrie Hardisky. Thank you so much. Stacy Fraser. Oh, I've got two Frasers in there spelled differently. That's really interesting. Um, thank you. Thank you. And to Zach Bohannon, who is um, one of my boys from the Career Author Podcast. Zach, you crazy kid. Thanks, all of you guys. Thanks to all current and past patrons. It really means a lot to me. It means that I actually get to spend three days a month or four days a month, really crafting these essays and taking my time with them. And you guys pay for that time. And I love doing that work. So thank you. Thank you so much. And now let's jump into the interview with MG. I know you're going to love her. Please enjoy. Please do your own writing. Please tell me all about it at howdoyouwrite.net or my Onward Writer Slack channel, which you can join by just going to howdoyouwrite.net, clicking on the button to join the Slack totally free. Come over and say hello. And happy writing to you, my friends. We'll talk soon. This episode is brought to you by my book, Fast Draft Your Memoir, Write Your Life Story in 45 Hours, which is, by the way, totally doable when I tell you how. It's the same class I teach in the Continuing Studies program at Stanford each year, and I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you have no interest in writing a memoir yet... The book has everything I've ever learned about the process of writing and of revision and of story structure and of just doing this thing that's so hard and yet all we want to do. Pick it up today. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show M.G. Hennessy. Hello, M.G. Hello. So nice to have you. Let me give you a little introduction before we start talking about your process. Uh, MG Hennessy loves Star Wars, the San Francisco Giants, strawberry ice cream, and dancing. You have some good, um, good things to love there. She mentors teens at the LifeWorks program, LA LGBT Center, and volunteers as a court-appointed special advocate for LA foster kids. She's also the dean of Camp Transcend Family Camp and an organizer of the Gender Odyssey LA Conference. A supporter of the Transgender Law Center, Gender Spectrum, and the Human Rights Campaign, she lives in Los Angeles with her family. Those are all kick-ass things to be doing. Um, and one of my good friends is a CASA um, volunteer, and that's just, that's the coolest thing. 
thank you. Thank you for doing that. And that ties into your book and all of this other stuff. So I want to get into all of that. Um, But because I'm obsessed with process and how writers do this crazy job, can you tell us a little bit about yours? How do you get books done with all of this other stuff that you're doing? And you have at least one child I know, maybe more. I have two. Oh, my God. And two fur babies. So I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm I do not know how mothers get anything done, so please tell us. Um, you know, honestly, it just kind of depends. You know, I think that um, each book has been different. I mean, the other boy actually wrote really, really fast. I mean, I think I finished the first draft of that book in like six weeks. It just kind of wow it out of me. Um, Echo Park was a little more challenging uh, because it was just – there were so many different voices in the story. You know, the other boys all first person, one character. And I felt like I really knew that character. For Echo Park Castaways, I kind of had to find those voices. And especially since one of the characters is autistic, that was particularly challenging trying to make sure that I was, I got that voice correct and kind of stayed true to what someone with Asperger's syndrome would be thinking and, you know, what it would be like to be inside their mind. How did um, you do that research? Um, did you just research and get sensitivity reads or did you talk to people or? I did everything. Yeah. I watched documentaries. I have, I mean, I actually have um, a relative who's uh, got Asperger's, so I spent a lot of time talking to them. I have friends whose kids are somewhere on the spectrum. So I love, you know, a lot of it for me was I wanted to know if someone like Quentin underwent a, a traumatic event, would they kind of slide farther along the spectrum? Is there a possibility that they could become less communicative and they could re- be more reactive? And is um, that so? And that is so. Interesting. Like actually some friends of mine gave some very specific examples of how after a loss, like her daughter behaved and another friend whose son really kind of deteriorated after the family pet died. Um, so, you know, it's just... You know, I think it just depends. And then there were sensitivity readers that were brought in by the publisher afterwards um, who were very helpful, you know, and I think definitely. You know, but a lot of it too, though, is that I do know this subject matter really well from being a CASA. You know, these are all, they're not actual kids that I've worked with. Of course, yeah. Composites of cases that I know a lot about. And it was really important to me to, in this book, since it is about LA foster kids, I wanted to show what that kind of demographic breakdown would probably most likely be looking like. And there's actually this amazing documentary that just came out on HBO called Foster. Out a group of kids in the LA foster care system and they're all different ages and all kind of having different experiences. And it's like just an hour long. And I think everyone should watch it because it's amazing. I subscribed for a month just so I could watch Sharp Objects, which I have now done. Oh, yeah. Now I will watch Foster because that's off my plate. Foster, it's so worth it. And it's just, you know, I mean, it just sort of shows the highs and the lows of, you know, what it's like to be in the system. And, um, you know, particularly for teens, what kind of opportunities or challenges you have. And so it was really important for me to show like a range of kids who are all kind of handling it in a different way. You know, like Vic, like has this whole fantasy life where he's a super spy and that's kind of his coping mechanism. And then Nevea just sort of has her eye on the prize. Like she's going to go to medical school. She's not going to be one of the statistics. 
Um, cause most of these kids don't graduate from high school. Like so only 3% graduate from college. I read that recently. That's yeah. It's staggering. Intense. 58% graduate from high school. So, and it's a staggering amount of how many of them have no housing after the age of 18. No, I mean, just no housing of them end up either homeless or in jail by the time that they're 21. And that's like, I mean, it's, it's, if that statistic was applied to anything else, we'd be hiring czars and calling it an epidemic. Yes. And the pregnancy rate is also pregnancy through rate. the roof. 75% of the girls. 75%. I have the okay. bad kind of goosebumps. And then that becomes Ugh. like because a lot of the times right. these girls aren't prepared to raise a child. And so the kids end up back in the system. And I think that's the thing is that, you know, what I realized when I started doing this was that so many larger issues that I care about, like the prison industrial complex and the and homelessness, all of that stuff could be stemmed if we actually just helped a lot of these kids, yes. you know, before they ended up in those scenarios. Yeah. Um, Will you tell us the, um, tell the listeners what the premise is of your book? So the premise is basically about um, four foster kids in LA and they range from uh, six to 13 years old and they are, uh, living in a house together, they're sharing a foster home with kind of a negligent foster mom. Um, but it's a safe environment. It's clean. There's always food. So for them, it's like, you know, this isn't perfect, but it's not terrible either. Like it's sort of the best situation a lot of them have been in. Um, and Nevea, the oldest girl in particular, really doesn't want to rock the boat. She wants to stay in the house, graduate from high school, then go to college on a scholarship and continue on her like 10 year plan. Um, a new boy comes into the house, this autistic boy, Quentin, um, and he's barely communicative, but he keeps trying to run away. And that's rocking the boat for the rest of them because their foster mom is constantly threatening to stop. Mm. Um, like she's always saying like, you know what? I, it's almost what, since she lost her husband has become a bit more than she can handle. So they really need to keep her placated. So uh, one of the boys in the house, Vic, realizes that Quentin just wants to find his mom. And being this kid with this very rich fantasy life, he decides he's going to embark on an epic quest to help reunite Quentin and his mother. And so, I love you know, this. have to get from Echo Park, Los Angeles, which is pretty far east, all the way to Torrance, Ooh. which is, you know, down southwest yeah. by water. And it's like, you know, buses and trains and walking and they have this whole series of misadventures on the way and also a couple of really kind of magical things happen and um, by the end of the book they kind of created their own found family oh found family chosen family is my core story yeah that I always always come back to um what was I going to ask about that oh the very important question is it already out or is it just coming out it's coming out next Tuesday Okay, perfect. So listeners, when you hear this, it is out now and I am going to be pre-ordering it as soon as we hang up because I've got it. I've got to read this book. So what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Ah, you know, I'm, and, uh, beginnings are really easy for me. Um, endings can be very tough. Uh, me too. Yeah. I think endings can be really challenging because I think it's so important to give that satisfaction to the reader. Like, I hate it when I read a book and it just kind of fizzles out, mm -hmm. um, especially if, if I've really been enjoying it along the way. 
Um, like I'll read everything that Tana French has ever written. But Me her, too. Her first book, I hated the ending. So long ago, I don't remember how I felt about it. it didn't answer any questions. Like there were like there was a core mystery in the book, and it didn't get solved. <laughs> there's like, there's part of me that loves that still. Yeah, I'm a person who like I want to see like like the ending of Six Feet Under that series finale was my favorite thing ever because I'm like yes. I want to know exactly what happens to each character for the rest of their lives. Like, it was one of the best shows that was ever on television. You right? Know, that, and I just yeah. love that. Like, I really love that. You know, I like having things wrapped up with a neat bow. And I, because that isn't what happens in life. Yeah. So I feel like that's what I want in fiction. Yeah. And I, um, you know, working with these kids, what I realized pretty quickly is that, you know, uh, you know, it's so funny. Like, my, I had a lot of, comments from the sensitivity readers and from my editor saying, well, I don't understand. Like they wouldn't put kids in a house with a foster mother who was this negligent and wouldn't the kid with Asperger's be assigned to like a house with someone who specialized in that. And you would think, but I mean, in a perfect world, yes. But what I learned pretty quickly as a CASA is that you're sort of trying to, there, there aren't a lot of perfect situations or perfect placements for these kids. So what you're trying to find is the best out of a lot of not great options. Um, and so, you know, the foster home they're in is actually pretty solid foster home. Like I think a social worker would be pretty psyched to be able to place four kids in a house where, you know, Someone's been fostering kids for a long time and it's safe and they're well fed and it's clean. You know, that's like, it ticks a lot of boxes. What and I like, what I like from hearing about this though, is I know, and I, and I, I don't need to know particulars, but I know that it's going to have a good ending, a solid ending, oh, which, per- which perhaps I'm was difficult for you to get to, but I think particularly with social issues books, like the stories can be tough. You know, the yeah. kids situations can be hard. Um, I really feel it's important to end on a hopeful note. And especially for this age group, because it does skew a bit younger. You know, I mean, I, I personally believe it should be like eight to a hundred should be the age range. Yeah. Yeah. Eight when they put a cap on it. Because, yeah. That, that's limiting. Know, that's really limiting. It's limiting. Yeah. And one of my all time favorite books is still the one and only Ivan. I've like, never I, read that. Oh my God. Are you kidding? No. So I got to put that on my list too after yours beautifully written books it's like reading a prose poem it is amazing okay it's amazing i'm just gonna trust you and get that too absolutely you you absolutely have to get i think it won the the newberry that year i mean it was just it's just a beautiful book but again like it's a book that you know i think a teenager would love but or you know my dad would love but they wouldn't pick it up because because it says eight to twelve or whatever it is yeah yeah like a like a like a game at the game store with the with the pieces big enough so that they won't swallow them yeah Yeah. (laughs) but everything else is like eight and up right right? exactly video games i think we need games we're very busy doing other things but that that would be a fight to have on a on a in a better year right we're real distracted with everything else in the lower age limit of course yes but up for tv shows we don't say don't watch this if you're 24. <laughs> <laughs> we cut you off. At 20, you have to input a password to prove your A. Oh, God. You know we're going there. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Ah, uh, 
my biggest joy. I mean, honestly, for me, it's the days when I don't, I can just sort of shut off my brain and it just kind of comes. Yeah. I love that. I love it when a book kind of writes itself because I think those books read the best too. I think, you know, the ones where you feel like it's, it's just torture, you know, and I'm kind of just grinding out like word by word, page by page. I feel like invariably those are the books that I end up changing the most during the editing stage because they feel tortured, you know, big time. But I, ca- I call those, I call those easy ones, gift books. Yeah. Every once in a while I'll get a gift book and it's just amazing. I wish they were all gift books. I know. I would, I would pay money for that. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? You know, my biggest tip, and I don't, I know it does, you know, I, I am a big believer in everyone has a different process and the same process for, that works for me might not work for another person. Thus this show. Say, yeah. like most of the people that I've met who have never finished a book have gotten like 50 pages in. It always seems to be like 50. Yes. And get to that point and they're like, all right, great. Like I've made some progress. I'm feeling good. I'm going to go back and I'm going to start editing because I'm going to see, you know, this is going to be great. And the thing is that editing takes like 10 times longer than writing. I mean, editing is like you can spend an entire day on a page. So I kind of compare it to there's this great Bill Bryson book that um, talks about when he tried to hike the Appalachian Trail. I love him. Yeah. And so I think it's called The Walk in the Woods. Yeah. And there's one part where he's like, he's finally like, after like a rocky start, he's finally feeling like, yeah, like I'm getting this. And they're like, I forget how many states in they are, but they stop at this little roadside trail store, you know, specifically for the hikers. And there's a map of the Appalachian Trail on it. And he realizes the map's like, you know, like Maine to Florida. Like it's, it's a big map. And he realized that all this time they've moved like an inch. <laughs> And they still have like this much more to go, right? And for me, that's what happens when you start editing before you finish the book. I love that analogy. That is exactly what it feels like. I think it's a huge mistake. I think like I just, I don't look back at all. I mean, it can be a hot mess. It can be, it's, my drafts are like riddled with typos. They are absolutely the roughest thing imaginable. But I do not start editing at all until I finish the entire book. This is the hill that I will die on. We are the same person Absolutely. in this. I, I even, I, I'll just type in all caps and I'll make myself a little post-it if I add a sudden twin sister that I need. And because if I go back and weave her in, inevitably by the end of the book, I know that I need to remove her. Now I need to go undo everything that I did. So I just pretend that I did it and write forward as if I did. Yeah. And the other thing that I do is that um, if there's something I know I need to look up, I put in brackets. Love it. Brackets don't occur naturally in any, you know, written word. So then at the end of the, when I finish the book, so I don't end up going down like an internet rabbit hole halfway through my writing day, um, I just do a search for brackets. I love brackets. I like brackets more than, um, I, I use Astra sometimes and some of my friends use um TK or XXX or whatever, but brackets, brackets are, are kind of unobtrusive. You don't have to hit shift. You don't have to do anything fancy. It's oh, just. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. It's Thank not you. Not letters too, because sometimes weird letters can end up together if you're sloppy writing. True. True. What is the thing that when you're with your writer friends, you are most excited to talk about the thing that you, that you uh, always end up talking about? 
I mean, we gossip quite a bit. I mean, I think that's the thing. <laughs> no one has ever said that, and that could not be more true. So, we like, gossip so honest. much. Let's be honest. Like, I'd love to say that we sit back with like a glass of cognac and a cigar and talk about <laughs> the process or, you know, something like erudite, like Byron or something, but we don't. We just gossip about the other writers and like, did you hear that this person got an advance or this person got a movie deal? And it's kind of a mix of, you know, admiration and like envy and you know it's just I yeah. am fi- I'm fine so so the, so the romance world the gossip is is that and real nice thriller world I'm learning there's a lot of people sleeping with other people too oh it's yeah fabulous I've never been around that kind of gossip but it's way more fun conferences and there are people who just do the conference circuits <laughs> Yeah, I never knew. I never yeah, knew it's a lot of that. I mean, that's that's the thing is it's just it's a lot of gossip, and you know, in the especially in the like like thriller crime fiction world, and I don't go to the conferences as often as I used to, but um, you know, it was it's very incestuous. I mean, I, I call it like middle school for adults. Like, there's always so much drama going on, and there's people you only see like once a year, and they've flown in from like England or Australia, and I'm going to Thriller Fest for the very first time this year, so yeah. I'm yeah. I'm scared and excited. <laughs> ah, I'll tell you all about it. So, what is what is the best book you've read recently? Um, I'm actually reading Ton of French's new book. Oh, yes, I already I can read anything read by Ton of French. The Witch I mean, Elm, I know, right? Like, this, I know I just panned her ending at the beginning of this, but it's called The Witch Elm. I just finished it. Did you? I oh, loved it. I'm loving it. It's so yeah. good. What I love about her, she she just creates such tight suspense, but her language is so lyrical and lovely. I mean, her descriptions are insane. Like, she just is such a beautiful writer. I highlight yeah. passages in my Kindle so that then they're going to be on the internet for me later to go and, yeah. like, swoon over. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do that, too. Oh, yeah. Hello, darling. Oh, yeah. They're, they're <laughs> wandering around. Well, this has been wonderful and lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Will you tell us where you can be found on the internet and remind us again of the name of the book that will be out by the time listeners are so, listening? So the book is The Echo Park Castaways. I love it. And um, it's going to be out July 2nd. And my I have a website, mg at, you know, or mghennessy.com. And, uh, I don't know. I'm mean, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm, I, I'm easy. Around. I'm around. <laughs> and your name is unique. That's nice. It's like tech savvy as I probably should be. Um, my kids mock me constantly for it. <laughs> like I don't do enough stories on Instagram. Like oh I post God. pictures. Yeah. If I post like pictures from the same day as like different posts, they just, it's amazing. Like you would think that I had, you know, <laughs> Picked a cat or something like they were horrible. Which I prefer as an end user because I have more of a chance of seeing them that mm-hmm. way. <laughs> I know. I mark a hick as well. <laughs> thank you so much, MG. This has been lovely. I cannot wait to read your book. And thank you for being on the show today. I wish I wish I may it fly from the shelves. Awesome. Thank so. you for virtually having me. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a good night. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? 
You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.